I'd ask you to take God's word into your hands and turn to the book of Titus as we continue in our series, uh, Setting Us Straight, uh, looking uh, verse by verse at this great New Testament book uh, that is teaching us what it means not only to uh, uh, how to live the Christian life, but how to live within the Christian church as our relationships and as believers as we uh, bond together to be this family of God. And we've been looking uh, at this uh, text. In fact, we're finishing up and we're we're done with chapter 1 of this uh, book. And uh, in fact, the next 10 verses of chapter 2, we're going to kind of split up into its own little mini-series, if you will, with series within the series, looking at what it means to uh, relate with the people of the church. Uh, Paul is going to tell Titus here in a moment as we read uh, that uh, there are different uh, groups of people uh, that need to be given encouragement, exhortation, admonishment uh, to how they ought to live. And within this little series, I want us to look at what it means to be a healthy church or a healthy ministry. Have you ever asked the question, uh, what does a healthy church look like? Uh, For some of you, uh, maybe you're uh, new to Village Bible Church and you have just finished a search or maybe you are in the middle of a search of looking for what a healthy church looks like. Uh, For many of us, uh, because of our culture, we begin to look at all of the things surrounding a healthy ministry and we begin to look at those characteristics and say that's what makes a healthy church. For some, we'll look at buildings and we'll say, uh, is their building uh, well-maintained and and is it clean and is it a state-of-the-art? And if it is, that that must mean that it's a healthy church. Others will look at attendance and say, uh, healthy church means large numbers, where an unhealthy, unhealthy church may mean small numbers. So others may look and say, how many staff do they have? Where, where are their staff from? Uh, others will look at uh, the programs of the church. Still others may look at the financial statements of the church and whether or not uh, they are a healthy church or not. But according to Titus, Titus gives us a synopsis of what a healthy church is. I want us just to do a quick level of review, if you will, for a moment, and then get into our text in chapter 2. But what Titus is told by Paul is that a healthy church has qualified and godly leaders called elders who shepherd and overlook the flock, who who oversee the flock, and uh, give it care through the teaching of the word and through the shepherding ministry that they're a part of. That's where he begins. At the beginning of chapter 1, he tells us that elders are to be put in every community in every church, so that they can shepherd and lead the flock. And so a healthy church needs these group of men in every church to be a part of that. Next, he goes on to say that a healthy church is a church that teaches and proclaims the Word of God. It's not prone to just the entertainment and the fun for its people, nor is it open to the speculation and claims of false teachers, but it is a church that is founded on the principles of God's Word. The final thing that we see as we get into this text uh, this morning is that a healthy church is a church that is filled with men and women who live for Christ. It is filled with those who are old and young. It is filled with those from all walks of life who come together in unity, though they are different, they come together in unity to live out their God-given call as believers. And that's what our next 10 verses in this text are going to teach us. How we as men, how we as older men and and younger men ought to live. How the older women of the church 
are to help the younger women of the church and, and the characteristics that both of those uh, sets of ladies have to live out. How we are to live as employees, those that take orders from other people, how we ought to live. And then finally, how we as citizens later on in this chapter are to live amongst our government and what we're called to be as godly men and women who serve our king in heaven as we obey and submit to our kings on earth. This is what makes a healthy church. And it's important that we at Village Bible Church live these things out. But how do we begin to do it? Our text will tell us this morning. So I'd ask that you, if you haven't already, turn to Titus chapter 2. And I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 10. I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's word, and then we'll get into our text this morning. This is what Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 says. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good, that they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Let's go ahead and stop there and pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for what you're going to teach us today. Lord, we are focusing in on the subject of men today, older men and younger men. And Lord, I pray that you would grow within this church an incredible hunger for the men of this church to be men who pursue you and you alone. Lord, there are many temptations, there are many struggles, there are many pressures on the men of our church because they're men in this world. And yet, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be the kind of men that you've called us to be. That, Lord, as we learn today, that you would allow us to come together as a group of men, not just to talk sports or, or to talk politics, but, Father, that we would talk about your moving in our lives. Lord, your church needs men who live out their calling to lead their families, to love their wives, and to be the men that uh, you desire for us. So, Lord, we need to be men of your word. And so, Lord, I pray today that your word would be taught. It would be taught clearly so that the men of this church will be able to hear it and be able to know their place and calling in life. Lord, I pray for the women as well. We'll deal with them next week. But Lord, I pray that they would be active in prayer for their brothers in Christ, knowing that the struggles and the things that they may be prone to are far different than their counterparts as men. But Lord, that they would actively be pursuing your spirits moving in the life of the men around them. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. So how are we to become a healthy church? 
Paul tells Titus that it's going to engage the very family of the church. And he starts out in verse 1 by giving us what I have in our outlines is the manual for healthy ministry. If you want to have the end result being a healthy church, a vibrant and and church that is filled with vitality, then we need to know how we get there. And so the first point in our outline this morning is to find out what the manual is for the healthy ministry or the healthy church. Where is one to find the guide to be able to be the church that God has called it to be? To be the kind of men and women whether old or young, to be the right citizens and the right employees that serve and live out their calling as Christians. How are they to do it? Paul tells Titus right away that it must be done as we teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. And so we need to know that there's a guide, and God's word is the guide. There's no excuse for us as a church that we can't be healthy that we can't be unified, that we can't, even though we are a part of many different walks of life, come together under the banner of Christ and live out God's calling for us as a church. But to do that, I want to lay forth some guiding principles this morning, some guiding principles that I think are of great importance for us as a church. Go ahead and write that in your outlines this morning. There are three guiding principles that I think are of great importance within the church. The first guiding principle that we have this morning that we must recognize and understand is that there are legitimate age and gender distinctions within the church. What we must recognize is while we are all Christians, and while Paul says uh, earlier in one of his writings that there is neither male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, Even though there are no distinctions in our place before Christ, we as a church must recognize that there are legitimate age and gender distinctions in the church. What I mean by that is we're not all the same age. We're not all the same sex. And so as a result of that, we are going to do uh, the walk with Christ different in, in the different ages as well as in the different genders that we're a part of. To explain that, it doesn't take me very far to go back to recognize that I'm getting old. I'm, I'm 34 years of age. I'm not an old man by any uh, measure of the word. But I felt old last night uh, with five uh, kids in my car on a turkey hunt. My jokes weren't funny to them. They thought I drove too slow. They thought that, uh, oh, come on, let's, let's really get moving. And, and when they started to howl out the windows of the car, I started to really wonder, is that how I acted? I wanted to get on the phone and call every one of my youth leaders and say, I am really sorry. But that's how teenagers are, right? Full of energy, full of excitement, ready to take on the world. But if I had uh, some of our more mature folks in the car thinking that that was going to go on, I would have been wrong. They would say, turkey hunt, why would we go around shooting turkeys? Why would we do such a thing? There's important age distinctions. What you do in the way of ministry, what may attract you uh, to ministry and the things that you're a part of are going to be different than that which the teenagers are a part of. And there's many more distinctions within age, but, uh, but we're different ages. Number two, uh, we're, we're uh, before you get to that, in the gender distinctions. Gender distinctions. 
when the men get together for a retreat, uh, we like to shoot guns and, and we like to gorge ourselves with all kinds of uh, meats and, uh, and heavy starches. And uh, we like to uh, talk about all the things that uh, uh, we used to do but try to brag about that we're still doing today on the football field and the basketball court. And if you were uh, to be a lady within that mix, you, you probably wouldn't find much connection there. Because ladies, of course, are more dainty. They like to talk about relationships and, and, and feelings and, uh, and, and all the things that are a part of that. And if we were just to make a ministry focused in on the men of the church, uh, then our ladies would feel left out, and rightly so. And so we need to understand this and this first principle. And I want you to understand, even as we go through these, this is what tears up churches, are the legitimate things. Because the older people will say, that music is too loud, and the kids will say, that music isn't loud enough. And yet you all follow Christ. You will say that, uh, why are the kids running around the church? Don't they know that the church is a place of hallowed ground? And yet you all follow Christ. We need to understand that the way we do ministry, the way we follow Christ, is singular. We follow through direct obedience to the Scripture of God, uh, to the Scripture and to God's Word. But that it's going to be lived out. It's going to be made manifest differently based on our age and our gender. Throw up the next one for me there. There is to be interaction, not complete separation, between the various ages in the church family. So we're different. But does that mean that we just start separating and saying, okay, uh, older people, uh, you like X, Y, and Z, so you go over into this group and, and we'll, uh, we'll do ministry for you guys just as you want it to be. And, and young people, because you like it loud and, and a raucous uh, service, we're going to put you over here. I was... Uh, reading a couple of months ago in Christianity Today, a church that had 20 different worship venues. It was a large church because they said that everybody likes worship their own way. And so within their campus, there were little rooms that you could have jazz worship and you could have heavy metal worship and you could have traditional high church worship. And, and it was kind of pick your uh, choice on how you want to do it. And, and, and while there's a, a great... Um, truth to that, that God can be worshipped, and, and please hear me, some of you will struggle with this, God can be worshipped without instruments, with a piano, with an organ, and even with the loudest electric guitar and drums being pounded on, God can be worshipped through all, all that, as long as the heart is right, and the desire is to worship him in spirit and in truth, that if we start separating, we're going to miss out on incredible blessings, and so there is of great importance that we don't separate as a church, but we create opportunities for separation. That's important. We need to make sure that the kids have some time to themselves. And they can jump on each other, and they can yell and scream and do all the things that young kids do, but they need to be brought together into the family of God. And so it's of great importance that we don't always just cart off each other's uh, age groups to different sides of the building, but that we come together. It's good for us as younger people to, to worship and to sit in the teaching under not only older men and women, but to sit next to them and learn and grow. But likewise, older men and women, it's important that we bring in the zeal and the excitement of the younger people into our church, into our Bible studies, and into our worship. And so we want to make sure that we do that from time to time and make sure that that interaction is going on. Finally, 
there are different opportunities as well as different weaknesses and temptations at different stages in life. What I mean by that is as, as young people, usually we have more time, more energy, more excitement to do ministry and to go after the big dreams of faith. While our more mature and older brothers and sisters may struggle with that. Not because their zeal is any more or any less than ours, but, but they're tired. And they're struggling with health concerns and issues. And there are things that we as as younger people may not worry about. But likewise, I know that it's very difficult for Amanda and I to do all the things that we used to do when when we didn't have kids uh, to now when we do. And so as young parents, we recognize that we can't do everything because we're focused in on the raising up of our local family, the Badal family, and not being able to invest as much time within the local church. We also recognize that while there are opportunities and weaknesses, there are also temptations. For young people, the temptation, which we'll deal with here in a couple moments in the text, is the temptation of lacking self-control, of of pursuing with all uh, your vigor and all your excitement by, by trying to move ahead too quickly before God. But likewise, the temptation for those that are older is to become uh, callous to the movement of God's Spirit. And so that is why we must bring older men and women with younger men and women to make sure that as we walk with Christ, as we pursue Christ, there's balance in all that we say and do. Again, many of the issues that find themselves in churches is because of this, because of these three things. Because older people see younger people doing things they shouldn't do and younger people not liking the older people because they don't let them do those things. And we could go down the long list. And what God's word is going to teach us today is if we keep our eyes on him, if we live as we are called to live for Christ, then the age differences will become a blessing, not a curse. And so now what Paul does is he says here is the foundation Because he gives us, we see guiding principles that are important for us as a church, but these are secondary to the second one, and that is a godly pattern. Write that in your outlines. It's a godly pattern. What is the godly pattern for ministry? It is to have ministry be done in accordance with sound doctrine. Verse 1. What this means is, is that there is a guide to how we ought to do ministry. Now notice there's a contrast. The contrast is not seen in the NIV, but literally in the original text, it would have said the following, and some of your translations may have this, but you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. The but there is important because it's contrasting the difference between healthy ministry, vital, vibrant ministry, and the ministry of that of the false teachers. The false teachers in our text before us is telling us some things. It says that these false teachers claim to know God in verse 16, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good, including healthy ministry. And so what Titus is told to do, what we are told to do, is to live in a way that lives in contrast to the way of the false teachers, in fact, the way culture lived today. 
just as it did then. Because remember, the culture that these people are living in is the Cretan culture, which in verse 12 it says that they are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. And he goes on to say this testimony is true. This is going on in the church. We need to be careful of it. And so we as a church must follow the godly pattern that means that we stand in contrast to the world. Now what that means is is that we, it doesn't mean that we exit out of the world, but that we live differently, that we recognize that we are a different people, that we are a part of a different kind of following in our our, uh, steps with Christ Jesus. And so that doesn't mean that we go and we find some far off place to live uh, apart from all of the world and its temptations. But as men and as women, they will see us and they will not be able to slander us. Those that are outside of the world or outside in the world will slander us because they will see our good deeds. They will see that we are truly following after Christ. And though they may not agree with Christ and his ways, they'll say, you know what? That person's pretty good. I like having them as a friend. I may not agree with everything, but I like having them as a friend. I like having them as an employee, as a mom or a dad, as a family member. And so we must be taught what is in accordance with sound doctrine. Now notice what else is articulated here. The idea here literally is, the phrase there, what is in accord with sound doctrine is that which is healthy. That which is healthy. The word there, sound, literally is the Greek word where we get our word hygiene from. And so, what is to be healthy? We are to teach. Well, the word teach there uh, isn't the best translation. Literally, it means to speak. And what it literally means is the idea, not of teaching as I'm teaching you right now in the formal setting, but what is to be taught in sound, in accordance with sound doctrine, is the interaction that is done on a casual basis. So what is Paul telling Titus? He's saying, hey, even in your interactions, whether you're on the turkey hunt last night with the youth group, or you're out on Sunday morning with the ABF, or anywhere in between, make sure that all that you do lives up to the sound doctrine that you have as your guide, as your example. I like what the NLT, the New Living Translation says. It says that you are to promote the kind of living that reflects right teaching. And so what it means is that which you preach on Sunday, Titus, make sure that that's being lived out on a daily basis. Some of us struggle with that, quite frankly, this morning. Some of us really desire to live out the way we live on Sunday, but the temptations of this world lead us, they drag us to live differently, to pursue things that are different than what we learn on Sunday morning. And as a result of that, we found ourselves being tempted to go after the things of this world instead of pursuing Christ. We started there on Sunday. Some of you will leave this morning and say, I want to live differently. And you said that last week. But somewhere around Wednesday, you, you began to forget about the things that you were called to on Sunday morning. And you find yourself now stuck in the world of temptation and sin. We need to be careful with that. So there's a contrast. Notice there's a content as well. This sound teaching is that which is is healthy. And this healthy gives us a couple applications. 
This word sound literally uh, shares a couple things that we need to understand and know as believers. The first thing we need to know and understand is that we must always strive for that which is sound. This is why the word hygiene is important. Because when we talk about hygiene, we talk about that which is of great importance. And so as we talk about whether it is uh, personal hygiene or that which produces personal health and vitality, we need to be doing it. It's not enough for us just to say, I want white, bright teeth, and I think it's important to brush my teeth. Well, you've articulated a truth that will bring forth health, but have you done it? It's not until you take the toothpaste and put it on the brush and begin to brush and begin to floss and begin to rinse uh, uh, with fluoride that you are going to have healthy, sound teeth. It's not enough just for you to have the knowledge that that will bring health, but to be living that out. We as a people must live out that which is in accordance to sound teaching. Not just put it in our heads, but living it out in our lives. The next thing that's important when I think about this word sound is that it must be done on a daily basis. It's not good enough, and and we're teaching this to our boys, it's not good enough just to brush your teeth once a month. My boys could, could just enjoy living that way. It's not about just taking a bath once a week. And we got to fight them over and over and say, no, you get dirty and you got to get clean. Well, I don't want to get clean. I want to stay the way I am. And you are thankful that we are sound in our teaching. You don't want dirty, stinky badals coming in here. It needs to be done over and over again. And when we think about that word hygiene, we understand that it's a habitual thing. And so what are we to be living habitually? That is which is accordance with sound doctrine. And so that begs the question this morning, how often do you find yourself in God's word? How often do you find yourself living, living the way that God desires for you to live? And not just by accident, but because you've made a willful decision, I want to live as Christ does. I want to live that way. I want to live for him. It's important that we live these truths out. But notice he then moves from the guide, from the mechanism that will bring forth healthy teaching, to then focus in on a subcategory of people, and that is men. Notice our second point this morning is the making of healthy men. We've talked about what makes a healthy ministry. Now he leads towards making of healthy men. How are men to be healthy? Notice what the text says. He says, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect and self-controlled, sound in faith in love and endurance. He goes on in verse 6 to teach the young men to encourage them to be self-controlled. What type of men ought to live in the church? What should it look like? Well, our world tells us how we ought to look. I looked and found out that Men's Health Magazine is the number one men's magazine, read by men, of course. And so I picked up a copy. And i got to tell you, I've never read Men's Health Magazine. And the the thesis of Men's Health Magazine is to make the total man. And so I began to look through here. And uh, and i got to tell you, they've hit hit Tim Bidall right on. I I didn't know they had a picture of me. You know, I, I didn't know that. Now, uh, 
just so you're aware, there, there's some other cool stuff in here. You know, it, it tells us a couple things. Number one, they, they talked with me and found out how you can have six-pack abs. And you can have those results in eight days, guys. Eight days you can have six-pack abs. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And you can eat whatever you want, it says. It, it says that you can have a testosterone power boost. That, that sounds fun. I don't know how you do that, but that, that'll be fun to do. You can have stronger arms and a mighty chest. You can strip away stress with 101 best health tips and fitness ideas. You can maximize your cash flow. That sounds like a good idea. You can have 16 fat belly, flat belly you can have 16 fat belly foods too, but, but they're talking about 16 flat belly foods. And so I, I began to look through this, and, uh, and I was amazed that one of the main articles was how to become, go from an average Joe to a super pro. And nowhere in this did I see anything about what God's word says about being a healthy man. Now, I don't mean to knock this. I'm sure this, this magazine has incredible truths that all of, I mean, I'm sure I could use some of the six-pack ab workouts. I'm sure that they would be helpful to me. But our world tells us in many ways, I, I love these pictures. You know, have you ever seen a guy that looks like that? I know some of you can't see it, but that's a cool-looking dude. Look at him. He's just thinking. He's like, just me and my perfume. You know, we're making the world a better place. It's cool. Um, But if the men of our church are just following this, we're in trouble. Because what will happen is, is if we live this out in our lives, this is all we'll have. And I don't mean to be funny, but this is it. We'll just have that. We'll just be well-groomed, chiseled guys but the inside will still be rotten to the core. And the world says that's the kind of men that we're looking for. But God's word says something incredibly different. And it speaks both to men, young, and old. Notice what it says to the older men. It says, first of all, that older men must live lives, first of all, of maturity. Of maturity. Nowhere in the text does it say whether we need to be skinny or fat, tall or short, whether our testosterone is boosted or not. It doesn't say that. Whether we should have a full head of hair or we should go bald, whatever it is, it doesn't say any of that. And i got to ask the question, why? If this is God's inspired word to us, then what is God's word telling us today that will help us live life? I'll tell you, first of all, image, even though uh, Andre Agassi said was everything, image is very little in God's perspective of life. In fact, uh, the scriptures tell us when looking at David and looking for, as Israel was looking for a king, Samuel was said to have said that God looks at the inside of a man, not the outside. And we're so busy working on the outside that little do we know as men that the inside is what counts. And so the first thing that older men are called to do is to live lives of maturity. Well, we have to ask the question, who are these older men? Well, there are four stages in any man's life. The stage where you believe in Santa Claus. 
The stage when you don't believe in Santa Claus. The time when you are Santa Claus. And then there's the time you look like Santa Claus. And so where do the older men fit? Some of us men are sitting there wondering, who are we? The best way to understand who the older men are to look at the description of the ladies a couple verses down. It says, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good so that they can then train the younger women to love their husbands and children. Younger women are women who are early in their process of living life with their husbands and raising children. And so that would then beg the answer that older men probably are the men that are married to the older women, of course, who are probably just at the end of their child-rearing days and probably not new to the whole marriage thing. And so most commentaries believe that around 50 years of age is is the right term. In old Greek literature, uh, a man in his 50s would be called uh, an older man. Now, we need to recognize that that may be true for some uh, other than, than others, and, and that's okay. It's not going to be the hard 50 rule, if you will. But what are we to learn about them? Well, first of all, maturity. The word for older men is the, is the Greek word presbyteros. Presbyteros is the word we get elder from. And so what our elders need to, I'm a young elder within the church, and a young elder must live like an older man, like a mature man. Even though he may not be old in age, he must be old in how he lives and, and how he goes about life. But notice this maturity involves something. It involves being temperate. This literally means that older men are not to get drunk. It's the singular idea of drinking and drunkenness. Now, Cretans in, our cult, in the culture of the text were de- dedicated to the national pastime of drinking. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Now, again... We need to be careful that the Bible does not prohibit drinking of alcoholic beverages for adults. But it does prohibit drunkenness. And it seems that for whatever reason in this time, Paul had to speak to the older men getting drunk. Not being controlled by the Spirit. I like how the New Living Translation translates uh, Ephesians 5.18. It says, don't get drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. The men that are older must be men who live lives being controlled by the Spirit every day. That their actions and their attitudes are living out that which their calling has called them to do. Notice there's another term that's given. It gives us the picture of dignity. He says, worthy of respect. The King James Version translates this as grave. It doesn't mean that the older men have one foot in the grave, but it speaks about a seriousness. Tony Evans said, reverence does not equal rigor mortis. This doesn't mean that your uh, grave doesn't mean somber and uh, and one, one foot in the grave, if you will. But what it means is that life is taken seriously. I had a grandfather who came from Iraq And he was a serious man. He died at 91 years of age in a car accident. He probably would have lived another 10 years. And he was the kind of man, he was the elder statesman of any uh, group of people that he walked into uh, be a part of. And he would say to me over and over again, Tim, 
Tim, it's time to grow up. It's time to be serious. You don't see me joking around like that. And I was such a frustrating point for my grandfather because our personalities were far different. Everything to me was a joke as a kid. And to him, joking only happened 0.1% of the time. And I joked about the 99.9% of stuff. And it wasn't that he didn't enjoy laughing and having fun, but he recognized life is serious. And to be serious in life. But notice, write this other one down. It's not in your outlines, but stability. Older men are to be stable. He brings the word out in our text, self-controlled. This closely related to being temperate literally means acting with a saved mind. A self-controlled man is one who is disciplined. Matthew Henry says this is a man who governs well his passions, his affections, as so not to be hurried away by them to anything that is evil or indecent. This man has a governor on his life, and it doesn't allow him to go too far to the right or too far to the left. Now, I need to explain that. It means that maybe you don't go to the fun and games that the young people are doing, but we need to also be careful that a self-controlled man doesn't become a curmudgeon either. And sometimes it's not the issue of going and playing the fun reindeer games with Rudolph and his pals, but it's being the curmudgeon. It's being the old angry dude that's just angry about everything. And some of us, as, as some of you as older men, need to be careful. You're not, you're not Mr. Stick in the Mud. But be temperate and self-controlled in how you live. Now notice there's stability in behavior, there's stability in belief. Sound in faith literally means, again, to be healthy. Older men are to be fit in their faith. Their bodies may not be as fit as they used to be, and that's not a joke, that's, it's okay. But what should be is their faith. Because they've walked with Jesus for a long time, and they've walked around the traps of the devil for just as long. And so they recognize the importance of a sound faith. They recognize that they need to be healthy in their love. For men, it's easy to fall out of love with things. We become sterile. We become cold to the things around us, especially relationships. And Paul tells Titus, make sure that they're sound in love, that they don't lose the passion for their wives, for their children, for their God. And as older men, we can become so just distant from the important things that we are called to love. Sound in endurance. Literally, these is a compound word that means under and abide. It literally means that you remain under. Some of you as older men are checking out. You're checking out because you say, you know what, I've done my job and now it's time to move on. Maybe you've said, eh, I'm just tired and, and it's my time to retire. Nowhere in the scriptures do we see spiritual retirement as an option for older men and women. And we see many examples of like Caleb and Abraham and Moses. Moses was 80 years of age, my friends, when he took the children out of Egypt. 80 years of age. And some of us need to be called to that same pursuit of being sound in endurance, going to the very end. I was having a conversation. Lloyd is here. Lloyd, uh, how, how old are you, Lloyd? 91. And Lloyd told me a couple weeks ago that he wants to finish just as good as he started out. We need men like that. 
And Lloyd will come, 91 years of age, and Lloyd has known me since I've been a young man, and Lloyd will continue to come and say, Tim, why don't you come on over? We need to talk. And he'll say, hey, what's going on in the church? What, what needs to take? Bring that vegan with you too, just so I can ask him some questions as well. And we'll sit with Lloyd, and we'll talk with him. Why? Because Lloyd wants to make sure that village is the place that it was when he started here, that it's here 40 years after he leaves. That's endurance. That is the kind of men that we need in our church. And, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't say we have them in our church. We have them. I don't want to, as a young man, go off on older men, because I'll take care of the younger men here in a moment. But we have them, and praise God for it. They need to be sound in love, sound in faith, and sound in endurance. But notice, younger men, there's just one quality, one quality that young men are given. So we have maturity, dignity. Young men are called to sobriety. And sobriety doesn't just involve alcohol. Sobriety involves being self-controlled in every way. This word encourage means he's calling, he's begging. He says, similarly, beg the younger men to live self-controlled lives. As younger men, what are we called to live self-controlled lives like? In what arenas? In our achievement. Younger men, we are so hungry for achievement, it is sad. We could take on the whole world. We want the whole world all tied up in a, in a big knotted bow for our liking and our taking, and we'll pursue it. And so we'll work long hours. We will neglect family and marriage relationships for the pursuit of achievement. And Paul says be self-controlled. It doesn't mean that you can't desire achievement. You can't desire a personal accomplishment. But be careful. Notice our appetites. Young men, we are prone to fall to the uh, appetites of our lives. We want it and we want it now. Whether that involves the appetites sexually, whether that involves the appetites uh, of money, of fame, of fortune, Whatever those appetites are, it's not that they're bad appetites, but it's that they should be controlled. It's not wrong to desire many things in this world, but if you desire them under your own terms, then you've got a problem. You're to be self-controlled with your attitudes. We have this attitude that we are the best. We're the smartest thing in the world. My dad used to always tell me, especially when I was doing something dumb, Thinking I was really smart, he would ask me, Tim, how much change do you have in your pocket? And I always pull out my pocket and say, I don't have anything. He says, that should teach you something. I never knew what that meant, but I'm starting to understand it. We think we're so smart. We think we're so good at what we do. We're the best thing that's ever happened to this world. Just give life a little time. Our actions... Some of us who are in our 30s and 40s act like we're teenagers. And it's wrong. We joke like we're teenagers. We don't have control of our bodies just like a young teenage guy would. And it's sad. And the reason why I bring this up and I nail on this is because I've told you before, church, my biggest issue with sin is self-control. I don't know when to stop sometimes. When to stop when the joking is going too far? When to stop when, when things are happening that, that shouldn't be? And, and I hate that about myself. 
And then I look at the scripture and say, it's all right. You're just young. Just keep growing. Keep becoming more like Christ. I was sharing with my small group last week as we were studying this text. That a couple of weeks ago, I was about to tell a joke. And there was this voice I'd never heard before that said, don't do that. And I said, that's maturity. I get it now. Little voice in the head says, stop, and you listen to it. I'd never seen it before. I always saw that little guy flashing the no-go, dead-end signs, but I I thought that was for someone else. And yet I'm so excited that with age comes maturity. How do we take these younger men, with the, the couple minutes I have left here, how do we take younger men and make them into the older men, the presbyteros, the mature men that they're supposed to be? It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just, you don't just wake up one day and you're mature. We've got some men in our church that are 60 years of age and 70 years of age and 40 and 50 years of age that act like they're 12 and 13. And we've got some uh, young men, teenagers, who are acting like they're in their 50s and 60s. So how does that happen? Is it just that we go through a course of time? No, it is done through the mandate of healthy mentoring. Whether you like it or not, you're a mentor, men. Either you're mentoring towards that which is good or you're mentoring the world towards that which is bad. Notice what the text says in verse 7. In everything, set them as an example before, by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. What Titus is given is the formula to mentoring. And I want to put this formula together by spelling the word mentor. What does it mean to be a mentor? Number one, it means make a connection. Make a connection. You want to be a mentor? Then connect with someone that's younger than you. Or connect with someone that is older than you. And that means not just looking at the young kids in the church and saying, well, those those, those young kids, there they are. But saying, you know what? I'm going to involve myself in one of their lives. I'm going to pursue them. Now you would say, well, I don't have much to offer them. What do you mean you don't have much to offer them? You have experience. You have wisdom. You've run down the road. Have you ever noticed how easy it is with directions when someone who has been to your destination is with you in the car? Hey, you turn here, you turn there. You know how hard it is trying to look at a map and try to figure it out while you're driving? It's crazy. And so if you have walked the walk of life, you have the opportunity to be a mentor. It means making a connection. Second, it means encouraging victorious living. Mentoring is cheerleading. It is saying, follow the example that God has set for us. It is good. It's healthy. Now pursue it. So mentoring isn't just getting together and talking about what's going on in the world, but mentoring is encouraging younger men to pursue that which is righteous and that which is good. Next, it involves nurturing integrity. Notice what the text says. It says, in your teaching, show integrity. The idea of integrity is the idea of being true in life in what you say. So you don't just say things, but you show what it looks like in life. I had a man in my life that showed me integrity. 
that lived and exuded integrity in all facets of his life. And I'm so thankful for it because he shared with me his struggles, his pains, his hurts, and his dreams. And he did all that over a game of, of uh, football on the, on the TV. And he did that in a way that I was able to know that I was still, I hadn't arrived yet, but I was going to get there at some point. It involves teaching how to take life seriously. As young men, young men are going to live like Cretans. They're going to live as liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons, as verse 12 of chapter 1 says. But you need to say, don't be a Cretan. Don't waste your life. Live your life to the fullest in Christ. It involves observing your life. When you mentor someone, you say, I want you to take a look at my life. I want you to see the good of it. I want you to see the bad of it. I want you to see my struggles and my pains. I want you to see all of it. Whether I'm at church or at home or at work, look at my life. Finally, mentoring means teaching how to resist opposition. Older men teaching younger men that there's a war out there, that it's trying to take our lives. It wants to destroy us. It wants to consume us and how we ought to resist it. Men, you need other men in your life. You need it because we live in a serious world. And there's a part of every man that says, no, I don't need it, because our pride tells us we don't need it. I don't need it because that's not what real men do. Real men don't talk about those types of things. But we're in a war. We're in a battle. And the men of the flock of God, of this church, will struggle without other men. And that's why I'm so thankful for a ministry like the Band of Brothers Men's Ministry. Because it gives the picture that we are in a war. That the devil wants to eat us up and spit us out and move on to the next one. But men, we are called... We are encouraged. We are given the mandate to put our arms around another and say, I'm here. I want to help so we don't lose another brother in the fight. So older men, take your role and start teaching the younger men. Younger men, start growing up and start going to the older men and seeking their counsel, wisdom, and guidance so that the man of God in every way whether young or old, may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, for the healthy teaching that it brings. And Lord, I pray for the men of this church. And again, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be sound in faith, love, and endurance for the sake of our wives, for the sake of our children, for the sake of our families, for the sake of those that are watching. Lord, I pray that we would be the older men you've called us to be, mature and stable, dignified. Lord, I pray for the younger men. And I pray, Father, that they would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That they would be able to know what true masculinity is all about. It's not what we see in the magazines or on the TV For, Lord, we know that beauty is fleeting. 
Lord, our muscles will only deteriorate as we grow older. And it's what's within our heart that makes the most, that is the most important, and that makes the biggest and greatest difference in the lives of those around us. So Lord, grow within the men of this church a heart to be like the greatest man to ever walk this earth, Jesus Christ. Lord, call our women to spur us on towards that so that we can be like you and lead like you and love like you and more importantly, to live like you. Send us forth from this place, Father, now as we fellowship together because of what you've done for us and how you've changed us so that we can grow in our fellowship and in our love. In Christ's name we pray, amen.